0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eridix and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry.
2: Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that regardless of what the Blog Talk Radio site says, we are not taking phone calls, but I have opened up the chat room. I'll try to keep an eye on it uh, throughout the show, and if you'd like to stop in and suggest a question, I'll try to work it in if we have time. Uh, so, Nicole, we had a very exciting uh, day yesterday. You want to tell mm-hmm. the uh, listeners about it?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. We had a opportunity to join one another and a panel of experts to discuss advocacy and how you can become a successful advocate for the inclusion of people with special needs in our communities. So I was in, or I still am, here in San Diego (laughs) at the uh, Kids Included Together International Conference. I believe this was their eighth year. And yesterday, we were downstairs in the ballroom with our panel of experts. We had four of them. We had about 150 people, and we had Terry on the big screen coming to (laughs) us. My giant
2: head looming over the proceedings.
1: (laughs) Coming to us all the way from New Jersey. So technologically speaking, it was a very (laughs) successful event. (laughs) You were able to join us remotely. Yes. And uh, we heard from some fabulous panelists. We had uh, Brian, Wendy, Malaya, and Cindy join us, and I... Their last names I remember, but I'm worried I will mispronounce. So if you would like to know more (laughs) about our panel of experts, you can go to kitconference.org. But they just all came from various backgrounds and have had various experiences and are just real champions of inclusion and really try to send the message to others that people with disabilities and special needs can be included in so many ways in our communities. So it was a very successful event on my end, Terry, and I know that you felt the same way. So yeah, uh, it was a yeah. great opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Was and a- uh, as I was mentioning before, I said I was extremely nervous, and I, sometimes <laughs> I think at the very you know the last <laughs> second before I'm ready to speak, why did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I can't say you know, people would say to me, Oh, but you know, you 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 talk every week to to people and I said, Yes, but that's radio. They don't see me. They don't <laughs> I get to
2: chat
1: get to... on the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a totally different format. This is so much more nerve wracking, but it was it was a wonderful experience. And I really wanted to thank the kit organization for the opportunity. Yes. I think it really highlighted some important issues and also gave people a lot of tips and strategies to carry on with their advocacy. So, yeah, it was a great, great experience. But anyway, uh, did you want to add anything more to that, Terry? or you're- uh-
2: I don't think so. Just uh, one last chance to nag everybody to vote in the Reader's Choice Awards, which include a lot of the uh, resources that have been on our podcast. Uh, if you go to specialchildren.about.com, you'll see the Reader Cho- Reader's Choice link up in the upper left-hand corner. Click on that. You can find all the ballots. Uh, voting ends on Tuesday, so this is the last time I will be berating you to vote. But go vote.
1: <laughs> Love too. Sounds good. Now, today I was just saying before the show started we have a guest that's generated a lot of attention and enthusiasm. Uh, we have Michael McSheen with us this morning and he is going to talk about augmentative and assistive assistive, oh, goodness me. Assistive.
2: <laughs>
1: this is why we call it AAC <laughs> because <laughs> when you start the when
2: you start to spell it out, you when know, as it augmentative, really? is it augmentative.
1: Terry, why don't you say that for me? Because I did not pronounce that clearly enough.
2: <laughs> I think you uh, did just fine.
1: You're okay. We'll okay. say it's
2: the echo because you're talking from a bathroom that made it sound wrong. Sounds
1: good. <laughs> we are going to be talking about AAC this morning with Michael. Yes. Good morning, Michael. How are you?
0: Good morning, Nicole. Good morning, Terry. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
1: Oh, our pleasure. We're thrilled to have you, and uh, I know that. You know this is definitely a topic that people are really interested in learning more about because it really helps uh people with communication issues you know interact with one another and interact with people that they might not normally have had the chance to, so it gives them a voice and and more but it's not my job to speak about it this morning. that's why you're here so
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna. We'll start by asking you, Michael, very quickly. Can you give us a brief background about the work that you do and what you're doing right now?
0: I would love to. Um, so, the my interest in augmentative and alternative communication (AAC), as you were introducing it, um, actually started for me um, at the very beginning of, of my career in the area of communication disorders, special education. Um, as an undergraduate, uh, I was taking a course, and for the first time in my life, 20 years old, uh, met a person with a significant disability um, oh, where my. I was born and raised um, in a small town in New Hampshire. Uh, I had never met anybody with a significant disability, and there I was sitting in an undergraduate course, uh, and this gentleman came in to give a lecture, and I did not realize he was giving the lecture. I actually thought that the faculty member was going to talk about him because I had Ooh. no no context to make sense of what was happening. And right. uh, suddenly this gentleman pulled out this big green board um, with letters and words on it, and he started to point and tap to letters and words on the board. And the faculty member started speaking out loud the things that he was pointing to. Yeah. And I thought, what is going on here? Um, I had this assumption in my head that he would be somebody that people would talk about and not necessarily that he himself would have a voice and would give the lecture for the day. Well, he went on to give the lecture, much of which I struggled to understand, only because um, right. I hadn't seen life from his perspective. So that actually triggered uh, the rest of my career. Um, wow. That gentleman, by the way, was Bob Williams, um, right. who, no slouch, went on to <laughs> to be the, the U.S. Deputy uh, Assistant Secretary uh, in the Clinton Administration for Health and Human Services. Um, And it started me on this path of wanting to understand how people communicate in ways other than speech or sign language um, and how they show what they know, how they connect with people in the world. And so that's really been the path that I've been on for for more than 20 years now, um, seeking to understand how we can best create schools, systems uh, that make sure that uh, this population of people are are in the mainstream of society and are are part of everybody's life.
1: Excellent. I mean, what an inspiration, though, too, at such a young age to be inspired to carry on and with that work and learn more about it. So it's a, a real. It's interesting how people all of a sudden, you know, take their their path right when they're yeah yeah when they see something and, that they're inspired by.
0: Yeah, and I I continue to be. Um, Inspired, moved, motivated um, by the the struggle that I witness happening in the United States, uh, in particular, given that that's where I live and that's where I do my work, um, I'm, I'm touched by the fact that so many people who rely on means other than speech for communication don't have the supports that they need, um, and we're we're missing out. We're we're not getting to know mm-hmm. them. Um, we're not providing them with the equity in the world and the excellence in the world that they deserve. So that's what I do Mm -hmm. day to day is try to change that.
1: Try to make some change. And it sounds like you're doing a good job because I think more and more people are becoming aware of Mm -hmm. the alternate forms of communication and how important it is to help one another learn and communicate from one another. So thank you. Now, how well are schools? particularly in your area, but also nationally, supporting the use of AAC by students with significant disabilities?
0: Um, actually, right now, uh, our, our track record is, is not great. Um, there's some recent research data, uh, most of which has been led by a great group uh, in Kentucky, uh, from the National Alternate Assessment Center and now a group affiliated with the uh, National Center and States Collaborative also doing work in the area of alternate assessment. They've um, been using tools now to gather data, and we have data now about 20, for about 26 states that shows about 50% of the students uh, on alternate assessments who should have augmentative and alternative communication, in fact, have nothing have zero, have no oh. device, as reported by their teachers uh, who are working wow. with them day in and day out. So uh, mm-hmm. right now our schools are not doing well, and New Hampshire is consistent with the national trend. About 50% of students who should have AAC we think do not have anything. The other 50% who have something, we we don't uh, necessarily know that they have the right devices or the right supports in place, uh, yeah. and we're... Mm-hmm. we're working very hard right now to find out uh, where it is happening for people and how we can replicate that.
1: Right. Now, why do you think schools have failed to provide AAC to students, this 50% of the population that you're talking about that are not receiving it? Why have schools failed to help them out?
0: Well, particularly, um, you know, my, my main interest area in the, is, is people with labels of significant disabilities. So mm-hmm. there's been a, a history of us perceiving that people with very significant cognitive disability labels couldn't benefit from augmentative or alternative communication, AAC. Um, mm-hmm. We actually used to follow a model in the field of AAC that required people to show cognitive prerequisites in order to even get augmentative communication services and supports. Um, oh. Now. Now, we moved away from that model, we being Mm -hmm. leaders in the area of AAC, moved away from that model in the 80s. But it was so, by that time, it was so embedded in the school systems that that was the model that that continues to be the practice. I think Mm -hmm. that schools are really struggling. To both recognize a person with a significant cognitive disability as competent and then organize right. communication supports based on that perception of their of their strengths and their competence and their their potential, um, we now right. believe that there are no prerequisites to using AEC. Right. everybody, uh, regardless of their label, um, mm-hmm. can communicate, and the standard now which is a dramatic shift from where we started in the field, the standard now is to compare people with significant disabilities to people without disabilities. So when I look at an individual, I don't say, well, are you communicating well enough for somebody with a label of autism or Down syndrome mm-hmm. or severe intellectual disability. I say, are mm-hmm. you communicating all the things, all your wants, needs, desires, information sharing that anybody without a disability would be communicating at your chronological age? And if you're not, right. then we want to get in there and give you some AAC support. Great. Right.
1: Right. Wonderful. Okay. And well, then what do you me? also – oh, sorry, go ahead, Terry. No, no go ahead. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh, I was just wondering, in terms of work then, do you also consult to schools? Uh, how how do you get into the schools and say, or how do you get the message across that there are no prerequis- prerequisites and that people need to be communicating at the same level as their peers?
0: Uh, that's been a struggle, quite frankly. I yeah. think that the, the field right. of AEC has really struggled with how do we get people to both hear that message Believe that message and then act on that message, and and all three steps—hearing it, believing it, and acting on it—require um, re- different different activities in schools, right? So, still, many schools across the country don't ex- haven't experienced meeting somebody who uses AAC successfully. Right. So mm-hmm. in order to hear that message, I think the, the personal experience of seeing and hearing from somebody who uses AAC is probably right. the best way to get the message out. Um, I will tell you that there are a number of national projects, um, and I'll speak specifically about a New Hampshire project that we have that that is working on doing this. So, for example, um, in the area of alternate assessment, we know that alternate assessment um, Accountability assessment is a place where we have some teeth to create change, right? There's accountability Mm -hmm. to schools to make sure that students can learn general curriculum and, and show what they know in schools. And the only way that a student can be able to show what they know is if they have a way to communicate. So the National Center and States Collaborative and other consortia around the country working on assessment issues are promoting this message. Um, making sure that leaders in state departments of education and frontline educators and family members are hearing the message that we believe all students can communicate, and it's our, our responsibility to make sure that uh, we're getting AAC into the schools. In New Hampshire, um, well, there's also uh, a, a new nationally uh, funded uh, technical assistance project uh, center uh, out of Kansas called SWIFT, uh, school-wide integrated framework uh, for transformation, uh, mm-hmm. and they're looking at inclusive schools across the country. And um, as they do their work over the next several years, uh, they'll also have an eye on augmentative communication for individuals uh, with um, significant disabilities. Here in New mm-hmm. Hampshire, we just started up, and we're just in the, we're just getting going with it, but we're very excited about it. Uh, we're developing. Uh, what we're calling the New Hampshire AAC Initiative, and it's funded out of our State Department of Education Bureau of Special Ed Programs. We're developing an online learning center so that educators have free access, free access to professional development. We're creating uh, a series of about 20 online learning modules for educators to be able to learn about AAC family members to be able to learn about AAC at no charge and then we're going to be providing um, regional trainings to support that as well as monthly webinars. And we've had some interest from other states already, even though the project's not completely rolled out. We've already had interest from other states uh, who would like to replicate and expand on that model. So we're, we're seeing, I think, a shift here, a tipping point uh, where people are, are hearing the message and are trying to figure out ways to act on that message.
2: That's great. Uh, I, I jumped in on your question, Terry. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. No problem. Well, I have, I, you know, uh, you mentioned funding, and that's something that I have wondered about. This is whether that's uh, part of the fact that these kids aren't getting the help they need because it's an expense to the school district to provide this stuff. You have decades of thinking that it's not really necessary, it's not really important, this kid can't do that, it's all just newfangled bald roll <laughs> and you have to be able to get money to get the kids to do this. Oftentimes maybe they're not getting the optimal thing because this is what happens to be available. Uh, right. how how does that work uh in school districts? Is this stuff having to come out of school district budgets? Is there um is this something You know, the parents can pay for, or does it have to be the? You know, I know a lot of people are using iPads for this now, uh, which is a more um, affordable option, but oftentimes not one that schools can avail themselves of. How has that been a piece of this problem?
0: It it definitely is um, a a huge consideration, um, particularly in our our current economic (laughs) reality in schools um, and Mm -hmm. across the United States, but remember that that this challenge has existed even in times when we had um, maybe a a feeling that we we had access to greater funds. Um, Mm -hmm. Funding is an important consideration. From a legal perspective, we should be very clear, particularly with schools, that funding cannot be a determining factor about whether or not to provide the support. Right, so I want to be mm-hmm. very clear about the rights end of this, that students have rights to, <laughs> to have access to this support.
2: Yeah. And yeah. now and yet you don't want that, to be in the school where they, they close the football program so that they could buy AAC devices for the kids in special ed. So, so you there know, a there is, it's a practical thing. Yes.
0: Yeah, so there are a number of funding sources that people can look to. Uh, there's definitely um, many health-based funding programs, Um, that schools can access, Medicaid, Medicare. Uh, We can look at private insurance uh, from the family's Mm -hmm. perspective as well uh, as a potential Mm -hmm. funding source, uh, flow-through dollars from IDEA funding that might be able to be used to fund. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's actually now a number of sites that are popping up, websites that are popping up with more information about funding. So, for Mm -hmm. example, I believe that there's an aacfundinghelp.com website that has mm-hmm. a number of uh, fast facts about uh, funding uh, augmentative communication technology and funding the training that needs to go with that, right? You don't want to just yeah. pop a device yeah. in front of a student and say, have at it. Um, mm-hmm. You want to be able to fund the, the training and support to use that device effectively. Right. There's um, uh, For people who want to know particularly more about the health-based funding, uh, there is a website that has a free podcast, a free webcast, uh, that gives more information about uh, those specific funding sources, um, mm-hmm. uh, the AAC-RERC, it's a uh, rehab engineering research center. Um, if you go to AAC, uh, if you Googled AAC-RERC, uh, spread uh-huh. the word, they have free um, webinars online. And one of them is a great presentation from Lou Gollinger, who's a, a leader in assistive technology funding issues. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's more information out there. We're going to be working um, very diligently, uh, I know, in our New Hampshire project to make sure schools um, know how to access the funding that is out there uh, and can work creatively uh, to, to mm-hmm. make sure that that funding, uh, those funding sources don't Detract from others, right? We need to yeah. think about this as a
2: population right.
0: of students who haven't had the support, and, and we need to get it to them.
2: Yeah, definitely. Right. And the other piece of it, of course, is once you get the thing, uh, how is it used in the classroom? Is the teacher receptive to using it? You mentioned training, and that's really important. But I think there's sometimes some some difficult beliefs the teachers have that make these things difficult. I know, you know, I've heard of students where the teacher just doesn't ever, you know call on them or want to deal with the the new thing in the classroom. I, you know, mm-hmm. I have a, a friend whose child is has a hearing impairment and they advocated to have the microphones and stuff in the classroom, but the teacher doesn't like it and so she doesn't yeah. use it. And I imagine that sort of thing goes on with AAC as well. Um, for parents who have advocated to get these devices but can't necessarily be in the classroom to know how they're being used, how do we work most effectively with schools to really get this completely... Uh, working and included uh, in our kids' classroom experience?
0: Great question. I think that mm-hmm. um, we're experiencing a, a shift um, in in our schools as new technologies come on the market, mainstream technologies, everyday mm-hmm. technologies, yeah. that are actually pretty closely aligned with the experience of using augmentative communication. Right. So right. now we see people with smartphones and mm-hmm. iPads using them in their their day-to-day lives. Um, I just saw an ad this morning for a new smart uh, technology coming out that's actually going to allow for um, eye pointing, right? So you look with your eyes onto the the smartphone, Mm -hmm. and it Uh tracks your your eye pointing on the device. Well, that's directly out of the field of augmentative communication. That's a a piece of technology that we've been using for people with limited mobility uh, for a long time, and now it's moved to mainstream. So I think the more Mm -hmm. that we can um, show teachers that augmentative communication is consistent with mainstream innovations in communicating, um, both written and spoken communication, uh, I think Mm -hmm. that we can kind of disentangle the technophobia that they might be experiencing, right? Teachers right. want to feel competent. <laughs> they want to feel uh-huh. competent. Yeah. It's like we, yeah. want, we want to feel competent yeah. as parents. We want to feel competent as family members. I want to feel like <laughs> I'm a good friend to people, right? Yeah. So yeah. when I'm not feeling like, like I'm competent, um, I might be more likely to just ignore that this even is yeah. required right now.
1: Right. So I think we need right. to Definitely. show
0: teachers how this is an everyday experience that they themselves can be very competent at, at using. Uh-huh. Um, I've actually great. had great luck with general ed teachers um, showing them ways to integrate uh, varieties of communication methods into their everyday instruction. And mm-hmm. this is now consistent with what's, con- with what's considered best practice in instruction. Right? We talk about universal design for learning. If you've ever heard of UDL, yes. there's a great mm-hmm. website um, at CAST.org, uh, C-A-S-T, where they talk a lot mm-hmm. about universal design for learning, and we talk about multiple means of presenting mm-hmm. information, multiple options for responding uh, during class mm-hmm. instruction. Well, that's AEC. Yeah.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the more yeah, that right. we
0: can use that everyday language, the familiar language to educators, the more success we can have there.
2: Do you know, are, are colleges uh, that are uh, educating teachers, uh, bringing this into the program, uh, are they getting exposure to this when they're uh, uh, learning so that the new teachers coming into the classroom are going to be maybe a little more up to speed than teachers who've been there for a while? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: that uh, colleges and universities are um, definitely, be, as, as uh as multiple leaders are becoming more aware of AAC and assistive mm-hmm. technology, uh I know of many colleagues around the country who are bringing that into their uh university lectures uh, and making mm-hmm. sure that their students are graduating aware but you know yes. it's it's still a challenge for universities to make sure that um their student teachers, their student speech pathologists are graduating mm-hmm. with everything that they need to know. Um, and still being an attractive program, right? So at present, you know, uh, uh, getting a master's degree in speech-language pathology takes about two and a half years. Now if we add on another course, add on another course, it starts to become uh, a challenge. Um,
2: But that (laughs) doesn't mean
0: we shouldn't require it, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, And this is still a problem from the certification end, like a speech yeah. pathologists, for example, um, can still graduate with a master's degree and know very little about augmentative yeah. communication. They're not required um, to have in-depth knowledge. So we need to make right. sure that there's, um, that we're working with the universities on the kind of pre-service mm-hmm. personal preparation end and then right. we have to make sure we have strong in-service, school-based, job-embedded professional development that yeah. that meets teachers where they're at and, and gives them the next steps regarding AAC. Yeah,
2: right. That's great. Good. But your original question had.
0: Yeah, your original question had to do with families, and I wanted mm-hmm. to go back to that to say you know,
2: okay.
0: I I think that. Um, Families can get involved in a number of ways. So I, I talked about making sure that you're talking about AAC as an everyday way of communicating. Right. The other piece here is to expect it and ask for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Right? I, yeah. I would encourage families, don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> don't don't yeah. be okay with that. <laughs> right? Go to the IEP
0: meeting um, with information that is readily available now on the web yeah. and, and elsewhere and, and say, you know, my child deserves a voice. Uh, yeah. My child has the right uh, to have their communication supported. Um, yes, mm-hmm. my child currently can speak 20 words, but they're in third grade, and that's not okay.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. The, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So I think families should go in and say, well, what's everybody else talking about? What's everybody else communicating in class? And yeah. I want supports for my child to be in those conversations.
2: Mhm. It's
0: That's
2: great. Yeah. Easy to advocate for, not so easy to make sure it's actually happening.
0: Right, we should and you a think fly that that's on the wall in the classroom
2: to actually know what's what's uh, being done. Right. But, uh, you you Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that that's a struggle in, in every yes. era- area of education. <laughs> that's right? True. We, yes. We it talked is. about that, that yeah. implementation gap <laughs> between how something is intended to be used, and then how it actually gets used day to day. So that's where we need to make sure that AAC is not a separate, different thing. We need to braid in, we need to integrate in AAC supports into thinking about how we deliver instruction, how we Mm -hmm. design Mm -hmm. curriculum, uh, how we make textbooks available, right? If if we're moving to making textbooks available in digital formats on iPads and other new technologies, we need to introduce that AAC language that you know this is very consistent here um right. so that we're not talking about adding on another thing
2: mm-hmm. and instead
0: integrating it in with all the current responsibilities and wonderful things that teachers know to do yeah mm-hmm. that's
2: really a great point mm-hmm. yeah oh, oh there's our school bell means that it's time to wrap up our conversation, although well, there's certainly always more that we could be talking about. It's such a fascinating topic, and I hope that it uh, is one that keeps getting talked about. Um, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for being our guest today, Michael, and I would like to yeah, thank our thank listeners you. for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us for next week's show when we will have Mary Edie from ProParents of South Carolina. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at momitude, M A M A. Michael, are you on Twitter at all or your organization?
0: Uh, I am on Twitter. They can uh, follow me, Michael McSheehan, um, and uh, they can access uh, our website, uh, the National Center on Inclusive Education, uh, by going to inclusiveed org, and that will redirect you to our website. Or you can check out our new professional development website where the AAC initiative will be hosted at InclusiveEdPD, that's professional development, InclusiveEdPD.org, or the shortcut LearnAAC.org. Excellent. Wonderful.
2: Thank you Thank for sharing you. those. Uh, and mm-hmm. finally, everybody, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, goodbye, everyone, and have a great week. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.